either, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And Mac is not yet here, so... I'm Chris. This is our emergency backup, Mac. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode-by-episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and the Holograms, because it is truly outrageous, and it truly doesn't quite get how to scat when you're doing jazz songs. There's a lot about jazz this show doesn't seem to understand, but it's also things about jazz that I don't understand, so... Nobody understands jazz. That's the point, man. Let's go on this magical journey together, shall we? This is season two, episode 11, The Jazz Singer, aka episode 37. Meg is still available for this week. She'll be back next time. Uh, but in the meantime, we have gotten our pinch hitter back. And this is uh, this is our good friend, Chris Sims. How's it going, Chris? I'm doing okay. I'm ready to talk about this episode that I legitimately had to watch three times because it just wouldn't, it wouldn't stick. Like, nothing about, everything about this episode just slid right off my brain. Like smooth jazz. Exactly. So this is an episode written by Michael Reeves, and you guys are going to love this. Michael Reeves, uh, some of his big early work was working on the Smurfs cartoon. Kit, you'll like this. He wrote an episode of season one Star Trek, The Next Gen, called Where No One Has Gone Before, where Wesley makes friends with a space alien called the Traveler. He, uh, He worked on a bunch of story treatments and scripts for like 14 episodes of Gargoyles, worked on 21 different episodes of BTAS, Batman the Animated Series, and get this, you guys, are you ready for this? This episode was written by the guy who wrote the screenplay for Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Wow. So what's the deal with this episode? Great question. Probably a Smurfs thing. We open, as always, when everything has ground to a halt in Starlight Mansion because Lindsay's show is on. Lindsay has a guest on, the legendary Taps Tucker, who is a jazz musician that Lindsay says she first heard him on one of her grandparents' records. Can anyone map out the time for that? For how old Taps must be? Well, I mean, he would have been active in the 40s, right? Right. Let's let's say generously late teens in the 40s. He would be in like his late 50s, early 60s at minimum. So how old is Lindsay and how old are her grandparents? That's what I want to know. Cut to me standing in front of a whiteboard filled with equations. A couple of pictures connected by red yarn for good measure. It all ties together. I feel like Lindsay saying like, yeah, I first heard you on my grandparents' records. Like, that's that's rude. Yeah, did you bring this guy on your show just to neg him? So, dude, you're old. What's up with that? Meanwhile, back at Starlight Mansion, Kimber's all, who's this clown? K- Kimber is the voice of an entitled generation. Kimber once more needs to learn about how great old people are, because it didn't stick from uh, Old Meets New back in season one. Oh, you mean the exact same episode as the one we're watching today? Yes, but uh, slightly less great. And then Lindsay announces that the Misfits are on next, which, oh no. Yeah, that's not going to come around in a couple minutes to bite them in the butt. She asks if Taps will play a little bit before the Misfits come on. He does. It's 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 a very nice trumpet sound because he brought his trumpet with him. And uh, Kimber's like, wow, that's really great. And it's not even electric. God damn it, Kimber. You play on an acoustic. We have seen you play a non-electric. Pianos, Kimber. Anyway, while Taps is playing trumpet, the Misfits show up. Who could have possibly expected this? The Misfits apparently don't like jazz. They don't appreciate their elders. They shove them off stage. And Pizzazz is like, yeah, take a hike, Jack, and then turns to the camera and winks. And then a song starts. Uh, which this is the exact same song we heard in our last Old People Are Better Than You episode. Got it in one. It absolutely is. Jack, take a hike. This song is not good. 
But there is one thing that I think is worth mentioning about it. Uh, well, maybe a couple things even. One is that the lion in the song is you're not wanted here, which is brutally cruel. Plus, it takes on an extra meaning when applied to a black man who was probably alive during segregation. Yes. Especially sung by a by a plutocrat like Phyllis Gabor. Oh, God, I hadn't even... Oh, man. It's not great. The, the other thing is... The, for the sake of the rhyme, the line in the song is, uh, you need to leave before I make this place explode, which is, again, that's a very, like, that's a very serious threat for glam rock. And so, like, this is another one of those music videos where, okay, first off, I love it because they keep showing this reaction shot of Tap staring up at giant pizzazz because, of course, there's a giant pizzazz. At some point, uh, they add some, like, surprise lines behind that shot, and at another point, they just sort of spin it around. And it also, I love this music video, and I hate it because they get on motorcycles and they're not guitar motorcycles. Overall, what you should take away from this is this is a music video where a 50-foot-tall white woman menaces an old black man. There's some layers there. This is nuanced in a way that I wish it wasn't. And after the music video ends, Lindsay starts shouting at the misfits, and apparently they used to be banned from the show, and she only brought them back on if they promised they wouldn't do stuff like this. And guess what? They did stuff like this. I'm not saying we need to blame Lindsay, but also, like, Lindsay, come on. You knew this was going to happen. At least she didn't bring them on with the holograms. She knows better now. Yeah, she'll lose her studio again. Her studio's been destroyed by them twice. I also love that she says on the show, I only agreed to bring you back on if you promised you wouldn't do this, but you guys are rebels and rule breakers. You're so cool. It feels like Eric Raymond might have uh, slipped Lindsay a little money. So meanwhile, back at the house, the, the holograms are like, well, we appreciate our elders. Let's put on a Taps Tucker record. What if we got the band back together? And Jerica's like, what if we got the band back together? Yeah, her exact words are, and we're just the people to do it. Why? Why are you the people to do this? You are a, you are a middler, Jerrica Benton. She's a wealthy white girl. She's the solution to all the world's problems. Without any preamble, we immediately smash cut to the holograms arriving at O'Hare Airport, where Gemma's about to have her connection delayed six times and lose all her luggage, even the stuff she brought on as a carry-on item. Hell is real, and it's a Chicago O'Hare Airport. So they all drive over, they find Tabs Tucker's neighborhood, which is apparently a bad neighborhood, and it's a bad neighborhood in the same kind of way that a bad neighborhood is a bad neighborhood in a Mary Worth cartoon, because there's like a discarded newspaper on the sidewalk and a young gentleman in a tucked in polo shirt near the entrance of Tabs Tucker's apartment. It's not that bad, I lived in worse places. Tabs Tucker is apparently living in squalor. But it's okay, because he loves the holograms music. This episode sounds like it was written by Jem. It's so congratulatory. Yeah, Jerrica was sitting at home with the Starlight Girls, and you just see it scratched out with Jem written over. And then just for good measure, in case you forget, Jem, beautiful, glamorous, young 20s. I like that uh, Taps Tucker has a poster for the concept of jazz just hanging in his in, in his gentleman's hotel where he lives that's hung at a 45 degree angle. So Taps Tucker is quite eager to record a new album, although he doesn't actually know where the rest of the band is because he hasn't talked to them in years. And Jem's like, well, I've got a friend who owns a jazz label. Can I call him? Why aren't they just throwing Starlight Music at it? They have room. They've only got two bands. Are you really going to claim that Starlight Music is a glam rock only label? 
Do you really want to do that? The entire conflict of this episode is predicated on the idea that Jerrica forgets she owns a record label. Jem calls her friend on Taps's incredibly old telephone. It took me so long to get this guy's name. I think I have it here at the end of my notes. I think it's Mark Rockwell. It is Mark Rockwell, the owner of Rockwell Records. I don't know how the, you missed his name when uh, he's such an important character. You know, he's obviously Jerrica's uh, jazz label friend that has been so established over the course of the series. But we cut to Mark Rockwell's office where Eric is laughing maniacally because that's what he does. He's got a portfolio of jazz tunes that may or may not be on like either reels or tape cassettes. And he got them for a song, he says, while he rubs his hand and cackles. Is that a crappy joke, or is he just implying some sort of illegal misdeed that led to this? Why can't it be both? The other part of the conflict of this episode requires Eric Raymond to also forget that he owns a record label. And again, as far as we know, they just have the one band. To be fair, a lot of Eric's time is taken up managing that one band. Oh, it's all he can handle. Like, there's a lot of this episode that involves people going like, oh, well, we couldn't possibly put out a jazz album. We're not jazz experts like uh, like 40-year-old white man Mark Rockwell. And here's the thing. His record label does not actually have enough budget for two albums going out at the same time. Yeah, all of this, like, I think there's a subplot that was cut out of this episode where Jerrica and Eric Raymond are both trying to, to create a tax dodge. They're basically trying to producers this thing. Rockwell basically creates a 24-hour time limit here, where he says in 24 hours, if Jem doesn't have the whole Taps Tucker band in his frickin' office, he's going to take Eric Raymond's pre-recorded tapes. And I mean, this is, this is tough, but it's doable, because as we all know, travel does not take time. They're on a mission from God. I mean, Rockwell. This would have been so much better with more Blues Brothers references. It's 106 miles, Chicago. I got half a tank of gas, full pack of glitter. It's dark, and we're wearing earrings. Hit it! So, Eric, being evil, enlists the misfits to uh, make sure that Taps Tucker's band doesn't record. He has a legion of mooks, and he enlists Pizzazz and the Misfits. Why? Why is this? I mean, I know why, because it's it's the premise of the show, and we can we can never stray too far from it. But why, why is it Pizzazz's job? <laughs> Pizzazz actually asks, why is this my job? At the very least, you know they're going to screw up. My favorite part is that Eric actually, like, brings Pizzazz in on this by promising to do his job. I'll be able to give your next album a huge publicity push with all the money I'm getting from this deal. It's Eric. All the money that he's going to get from this re-release jazz compilation that he's farming out to another label in 1984. On cassette tapes. Pizzazz, lured in by the promise of glamour, glitter, fashion, and fame, decides that she's going to steal Taps Tucker's trumpet to make sure that he doesn't record. It's the only way to be sure. We never actually get to see the theft either. It's entirely off screen. I wanted to see Pizzazz doing a trumpet heist. Although I really love that this is the kind of show where that stuff happens off screen. So then Synergy does blatantly illegal stuff. Synergy has accessed the IRS database because she's an Orwellian nightmare. We have official confirmation that she is hacked to the government. So they get the names and addresses of all the various band members who are apparently scattered all over the country. We are assigning people to go out and track down these band members. Shayna is going to Duke's Landing to find Ace O'Toole, the sax player. Aja is going to Seattle to find Joey London, the drummer. Kimber goes to Houston to find Dave Wilson, the bass player. 
Jerrica gets a phone call from Taps, and she and Rhea are going to find the trumpet. And keep in mind, they have 24 hours to go to these places, find the people, talk to them and convince them to come with them to Los Angeles, and then fly back to Los Angeles. It gets better. They have 16 hours left. Jerrica shouts this as they all leave. They got a good night's sleep. Kimber, I love you, but we only have 16 hours to save Jazz. Meanwhile, in the Technodrome. Techrat! Our son! Techrat has, quote, tapped into the airline reservation databank, I guess because the word hacked wasn't in common usage by that point. Uh, episode over. Techrat has hacked the airline reservation database, changed their tickets, put them on the wrong planes. The misfits do not have to be involved. Just go to Techrat. Nope, nope, sorry. Uh, we have to go to Seattle now. The establishing shot is at the Space Needle, just so we know it's Seattle. That's like the only thing we got. And Asha finds her guy pretty quick and convinces him to rejoin the band no problem because he's broke. And turns out that he has actually borrowed money from some thugs. He's got loan shark goons at his door. (laughs) And they actually run away while Stormer, in like the cutest rainy day outfit ever, is, uh, is following them. Yeah, Stormer tampered with the car, so they can't escape that way. Okay, so... This is the part that is probably going to be way more ridiculous for you guys than it is for me. They run into the Seattle underground. That looked like the part of Batman Arkham City where they go into the underground theme park? Oh, you you mean the part that made the most sense? Yeah, the thing that totally made sense. It wasn't weird or out of left field at all. The the part that that wasn't clearly put in there because someone wanted to design a steampunk uh, underground theme park level and make a vague attempt to connect it to the plot. This is a real thing. They do give tours for it because at some point uh, the ground was so muddy and there were so many landslides because they built it too close to the water. At some point they just said, nuts to that. We're just going to board up everything on the first floor of this entire city block, build roads over the second, and we'll just start again. The Seattle underground is real, but I will tell you right now, there is not any electricity. There are not broad city streets. There's a whole bunch of rooms down there and a couple of storefronts. It is a fascinating, weird little piece of Seattle history, and I have no idea how it ended up in here, and also nobody provided any photographic references to the uh, to the animators over in Toei, so they just said, there's an underground city level? What? Anyway, they run down into the underground, which doesn't have street entrances, but okay, and they hit a dead end, and uh, Aja is about to get beat up by a thug. Commercial break. Meanwhile, in Duke's Landing, I don't know where this is. Maine, I think. Is it Maine? It's very New England-y. The only Duke's Landing I could find was like a bar somewhere in Portland. I believe it's referred to as Maine at some point, but again, it just slides right off. The point is, is that Ace is perfectly happy where he is and is not willing to rejoin the band at all. He's a great life. He apparently owns this bar that they're drinking a pint in. He makes a good living. He plays with some friends on Saturday nights, so he's still creatively fulfilled. And then he gets dragged into all this. It's a weirdly realistic and kind of super depressing look at you know, what happens to old musicians is they, you know, the the band breaks up. They don't speak to each other for years. It's so weirdly realistic. And then this guy's like totally happy about it. He's like, yeah, I don't want to get back with those guys. I hate those guys. And it's never addressed like how they broke up. There's a reason they didn't speak to each other for 40 years that never comes up in this show. But uh, he, inv- he invites Shayna on a ride on his fishing boat, which is... Not going to be as glamorous as Shayna perhaps thinks it is. But she does get to catch a huge fish, so 
Oh, and uh, by the way, Jetta and Roxy were outside watching them uh, talk, and they were like, let's make sure that they don't do the thing. 16 hours. There's a flight from L.A. to Maine. That's going to be five right there. The flight back, also going to be five. We can go ahead and say, that's ten. When she meets up with uh, with Ace, uh, he goes, hey, to make this up to you, let me take you out on my boat later this afternoon. There are unspecified hours here. Then they're stuck on the ocean for a significant amount of time until they are rescued. Again, episode over. While uh, Shayna and Ace are on the boat, a storm starts rolling in. And Ace is like, oh, we better get out of here. And oh no, somebody sabotaged the boat who possibly could have done that. Uh, but they also tampered with the radio so they can't call the Coast Guard for a tow. This is like manslaughter. And Jenna and Roxy, like, they, we just cut to them and they're like high-fiving in the car. Yay, we just murdered somebody. I guess this is just how they bond. Meanwhile in Houston. At the Astrodome. Kimber's guy is a janitor at the Astrodome. Apparently the only janitor at the Astrodome. Because he is cleaning the entire Astrodome by himself. The janitor is very eager to stop being a janitor, so he immediately says yes to Kimber. And then, because that would be too easy, Techrat and Pizzazz are in the booth, and Techrat locks all the doors to the Astrodome. He actually calls himself an electronic genius. Techrat's not a weirdo. He's a genius. And so Pizzazz comes over the display screen. You're trapped, she cackles, and then she starts a song. I realize that this is, it's Pizzazz, so it's going to happen. This is so completely unnecessary. Just lock the doors and leave. Oh no, everything in this episode is unnecessary. But look, here's the important thing. This is the second song we have ever had that actually uses Jetta on a sax. And Jetta's not even here. Once again, my, my favorite thing about the Misfits, they are a band that decided to add a saxophonist instead of a drummer. And this song in particular sounds like a sitcom theme song. I'm not sure if it's because of the inclusion of the sax, but yeah. Back in the storm in uh, Maine, Ace goes overboard. And Shayna immediately grabs the life preserver, dives overboard, grabs her guy, and drags him back onto the boat. What, what I love is that while we're doing that, in the very middle of that sequence, we have a commercial break. Gotta add that extra level of tension. So back in the Seattle underground, Stormer proves that she is once again a beautiful, perfect angel. Yeah, she has a crisis of conscience, and she's like, oh no, they're gonna get beat up by those guys. I don't want that to happen. And so she distracts the loan shark goons so Aja and uh, her guy can escape. And Stormer watches them go as they get in a taxi and head back to the airport, and she's like, Pizzazz isn't gonna like this, but I don't care. Yeah, Stormer! Stormer! Meanwhile, Kimber's guy has the genius idea to cut the power, because that's how you disable an electronic genius. He just shuts off the fuse box. The electronic genius is undone by a freaking fuse box. And so that's that's those plot lines sort of neatly wrapped up. Meanwhile, Jem and Rhea have to find a horn. And they keep referring this whole episode, they keep calling this freaking trumpet Taps' horn. And I'm bothered by that. It really feels like we should have seen the, the trumpet get stolen. And so I kept thinking I was missing something. But uh, Jem and Rhea are in Taps' apartment, and they're like, who could have stolen the horn? And then Jem has a hunch. She calls Mark and says, hey, that evil guy I know, is he doing a deal with you? Mark's like, yeah, that evil guy you know is doing a deal with me. And Jem's like, yeah, I figured, bye. Actually, she says, thank you very much. 
The thing I love about this is that Mark Rockwell goes, oh, I thought you knew. Oh, I thought you realized there was only like one other record executive in this entire franchise. And so Jem hangs up the phone, announces Eric Raymond stole your trumpet and then taps as this bewildered face. And he's like, who's Eric Raymond? And Jem does not actually explain who Eric Raymond is. She just steamrolls over that question and just says, like, if Eric Raymond gets the thing, he'll get the money and win. We can't have that. Taps has no idea what's happening or why. Taps is a pawn in a much larger game that he has no idea about. Jem and Rhea are gonna have a hologram caper together, and it's their first outing as buddies, and I'm very excited. They're gonna break into Misfits music and steal a horn. This is a great first date. Like, Rhea has no idea what's gonna go on here, but she's actually a champ. She ad-libs with the best of them. She is super great at improvising here. Jerrica has synergy turned she and Rhea into exterminators, although not very convincing ones. Their disguises just look like them in costumes. Synergy can make them look like completely different people. It can make cars look like completely different cars. My question is, is Synergy just trying to get them caught? She needs to keep herself entertained somehow. Maybe Silica is trying to get them caught. Oh my god. It's happening. It's getting dark. Jerrica and Rhea wander into Eric's office, something something fumigation. Eric clears out and they manage to get the horn out of this display case. Eric, it's displayed prominently in his office. He's got it in a little display case. Eric wanders back in as soon as they've grabbed it because apparently he doesn't know how long fumigation takes. Yeah, fumigation's done in like 20 seconds, right? And he's like, hey, you're stealing my horn. So they're holding the trumpet, and then he's like, stop that. And Jem gets Synergy to project Taps' horn back in the case. So I guess we're just gaslighting Eric today. Oh yeah. So they leave, and then Jem turns to Ray and says, hurry, without my earring projecting it, the hologram won't last. And I basically stood up and started applauding because it actually uses hologram story bible rules. Sort of. So the hologram doesn't last, and Eric goes, hey, wait a minute, charges outside. But the exterminators are gone, and instead there are these two very conspicuous potted plants in the hallway. The good thing Rio's not in this episode. As soon as I was like, they're the plants, they're the plants, they're the plants, and I, I felt rewarded. They are the potted plants, they run off, we've almost got the band back together, because everybody except Shayna and Ace are back at Tap's apartment in Chicago, and they have to all go fly to California together, because nobody could just go directly there. 16 hours. So while they're wasting more time, back in wherever Shayna and Ace are, the Coast Guard shows up. They shoot up a flare, they're rescued, and Shayna's like, well, I'll tell them the bad news, but we had an adventure. I think she says the good news is we had an adventure, which is basically saying the good news is somebody I know tried to murder us. And I mean, this is Shayna. Shayna's no dope. Shayna knows exactly who tried to murder them because she knows who always tries to murder them. But Ace is like, oh, you, I guess you kind of saved my life and I guess I'll do the band thing after all. Yay. He swears a life debt to her that involves uprooting his life and career. Going to the other side of the country. Can you imagine the airfare budget in this episode? And I'm trying to think of how jet lagged everybody is going to be after all this travel. So the band minus Ace shows up at Mark Rockwell's office just as... Eric is like, well, they haven't shown up. Sign my thing. And Mark actually writes down Mark on the piece of paper before the holograms and most of the Taps Tucker band burst in. And there's this moment where it looks like they're missing Ace and Shayna, but then they run in as well. 
Because, of course, they all arrived in L.A. within five minutes of each other. Yeah. And then Mark is like, well, let's see what your jazz has. So then we find out what jazz has, and it turns out that jazz has razzmatazz. Jazz has gem scatting. No, no. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. Jem tries to scat and you're like, you know what? Thanks for trying, honey. It's obviously that 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 skill set is not in your wheelhouse. It's fine. Just just stop doing that. She keeps doing it throughout the it's not even at the intro. She keeps going back to it throughout the song like she thinks she's good at it. Mm, she's not. She's about as good at scatting as Rio is driving a race car. I know I, I said this in the last episode as well, but this is among the worst songs on the entire show. I think it's at least a decent experiment in that it's not like a glam rock song. It's something that's trying to mimic like a four-piece jazz quartet. It's just if we didn't have any of the gem singing in there, it would be, you know, an, an okay an okay little piece. So at the end of the music video... Mark is like, yes, that was great, implying that they were actually, Jem was actually scatting in his office. Like, they performed this in a room with Eric Raymond. Because he sits there and he claps and he says, that was great. If you put that song on the album, you got a deal. They don't have any instruments. They maybe have a trumpet. I don't, I don't understand. This is just a world where people go to a different dimension to perform musically sometimes, I guess. I guess. I guess we just treated this thing happening as normal. I don't understand. Every time I think I've got a handle on whether or not gem music is diegetic, they throw another wrench into it. Eric steps in at this point and says, well, no, you signed my thing. You've got to do my thing. To which Rockwell's like, well, I started to sign Eric, but I didn't finish. And that's that's not a thing, is it? I feel like he could have scribbled a happy face and it still would have been legally binding. My favorite part of this is that he finishes speaking. Like he says, I only signed half of it. And then silently holds up the contract and points to it very slowly. And also that it looks like the kind of contracts you see on pro wrestling, where it just says contract in big letters across the top. It looks a lot like a tiny version of the contract that all the kids sign in Willy Wonka's Candy Factory. And then he just straight up tears up Eric's contract and bids him good afternoon. So outside the studio, the Tapstucker Quartet, they thank Jem. They say they're going to dedicate their first album to Jem and the Holograms. How? This is, look, previously there was a, a first album from the Tapstucker Quartet. I think it's clear that now they're Tapstucker Starship. And that's the very end of the episode, and I am really starting to miss those superstar segments. We just want to see Jem pop up out of a trash can. Is that so hard? I, I almost feel like I got so used to there being a song repeat at the end of so many episodes or a superstar segment that these episodes that actually go like to time, I, I don't know what to do with them. On the one hand, it means they're getting better at pacing their episodes. On the other hand, it's not nearly as goofy. Are they really getting better at pacing their episodes when there was a trumpet heist that we did not see? Maybe just they're getting better at making 22 minutes of something. Okay, that's fair. Well, folks, I think that wraps it up for us. Uh, join us next week. Mac will be back with us and uh, we'll be doing Dance Time, the episode where Dance goes through physical therapy and has a blind boyfriend. And that doesn't even begin to get into that episode. Wow, it is a thing. Chris, thank you so much for stepping in and, uh, and joining us for these. It was a it was a delight to have you with us for uh, for music is magic and the jazz singer. 
of course, it is always a, a pleasure to be here. Uh, I love I love the show and I love talking about the show, even when it's when it's these episodes. Well, luckily, uh, we've already got you penciled in for the episode where uh, a supervillain kidnaps the president. A legitimate domino mask supervillain. I it's it's the best. It's the best. Everybody knows where they can usually find us. We'll we'll tell them about it in a minute. But in the meantime, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as the ISB. That's T H E I S B. Uh, I host a couple of podcasts. I do War Rocket Ajax and Movie Fighters with uh, Matt Wilson, and I do a show called Sailor Business with uh, my co-host Jordan D. White. Uh, Annie's been on that show, so if you enjoy hearing uh, me on this episode, definitely check that one out. It's a episode by episode recap of Sailor Moon, the the 1992 anime. Uh, oh, I guess uh, I'm also the co-writer with Chad Bowers of X Men 92 out from Marvel Comics. So if if you like the X Men fighting vampires and and I do. I really do. Then read that one. The The first arc finishes with number four, which is out on June 1st. And uh, we also did a, a miniseries that is available in uh, in paperback now called X-Men 92 Volume Zero War Zones. So the Gem Jam comes out every Sunday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. We are also on Twitter and Tumblr. You can find us at the Gem Jam at just about everywhere except on Twitter where we are at Gem Jam Cast. If you like what we do and you want to support us, uh, subscribes, likes, and reviews on any of the places where you can find our podcasts are always great. They really help our metrics. If you have a couple bucks kicking around, uh, you can uh, go on our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash the Gem Jam. We have garbage audio uh, outtakes. We have cross stitches. We have comics. I'm pretty pleased with everything we've been putting up there. I think they're a lot of fun. So until next time, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Chris. And this has been the Gem Jam, where we remind you, it ain't over till the outrageous lady sings.